one of the big concepts that we talk a lot about is that there's a connection between how kids feel and how they behave, right? And that's not just for kids. There's a connection for, for adults, for all of us. There's a connection between how we feel and how we behave. Hi, friend. Welcome to Gather and Growth, a show created for passionate, growth-focused, rural women like you. From mindset work and building strong habits to exploring the unique joys and challenges of living rural, this is a show to leave you feeling joyful, inspired, and a little less alone. Together, we're on a journey of reaching for the most confident, healthy, and authentic version of ourselves, and I'm forever grateful to have you by my side. Whether you're currently running on a back road, shuffling kids to town, hopping along for a tractor ride, or three loads deep into folding laundry, grab yourself a nice coffee and let's dive in. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Gather and Growth. Today, I am so honored to be joined by Joanna Faber and Julie King, who are the authors of some of my favorite books, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen and How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen. And with no exaggeration, these two books have totally transformed not only my parenting journey, but also my time in the classroom and as a summer camp director. So the fact that I get to talk to them today is super exciting. Julie and Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. We're excited to be with an excited fan. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If someone is just now getting to know you for the first time, I would love if the two of you could introduce yourselves. Tell us who you are, where you are, where you're from, how you got to today. All right. Well, I'll start. And I, right now, am in California, just north of San Francisco. But I grew up on the East Coast in the suburb of New York City. And Joanna and I met when we were babies, literally. Our families just moved to the suburbs and our mothers met each other. And Joanna and I went to nursery school together. And our mothers studied the work of Chaim Gannat, who was a child psychologist. And Joanna's mother actually took some workshops with him and and wrote some best-selling books based on what she learned. But in those early days, she and my mother would talk daily about what they were learning, and then they would experiment on Joanna and me (laughs) and our siblings. So we were really guinea pigs for this approach. Over the years, her mother ended up writing, as I say, a series of best-selling books uh, with the mother of another kid we went to school with. One of the well-known books that they wrote was called Siblings Without Rivalry. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Yes, I have that one too. Okay. (laughs) I actually got to copy edit that book before it came out. So I like to say that I contributed to that book too. So after high school, Joanna and I went our separate ways. Joanna became a special ed, bilingual special ed teacher, and I became a lawyer. And then we started having our kids. We each have three Mm -hmm. kids. And, you know, I thought... I knew what I was doing because I had read all these books and I had, you know, we had talked about all this stuff growing up. And then when we had our, our kids, it was a humbling experience. (laughs) It turns out it's, it's really different when you're with kids 24 seven. And I found myself going back and rereading the books. And I also listened to how other parents were talking to their kids. And I thought, I don't think they know about these books. I don't think they know about this approach. They're saying these things to these kids that well, short, the short story is that I ended up leading workshops through my oldest child's preschool. And in those early days, I was working a lot with parents of little kids. And they all said they loved this approach. They loved this material, but they wanted more stories and more examples just for little kids. So I actually called Adele, 
Joanna's mother. And I said, I have your next book, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen. And she said, oh, Julie, you write it. Call your friend Joanna. You guys should do it. So I called Joanna and I said, we have to write a book. And she said, no, 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 no. That book has been written. I want no part of it. But she was very persuasive, as you can see. I mean, she was a trained lawyer. So I had no um, So we did end up writing that book. And, and, and if I would just, um, you know, back up a little with my journey, and I'll try to be really quick. I grew up in this house with a mother who was a renowned parenting expert who wrote how to talk so little, so kids will listen and listen. So kids will talk. And, you know, I grew up reading all the parenting and psychology books in my house. And then I, when I graduated college, I became a teacher. So I spent 10 years teaching in West Harlem and working with real children. So by the time I had my own kids, I thought, you know, this is going to be easy, easy. <laughs> You know, I got this every which way. And I too found it a humbling experience to the extent where, you know, I really kept my head down. You know, I didn't want to go around telling people, you know, you know who my mom is, Uh, you know, because the next time my 18 month old is like clamping into the leg of somebody else's, you know, 18 month old and that kid is screaming, you know, or I'm trying to get, you know, the crying kid into the car seat. You know, I don't, I don't want people whispering behind my back. Do you believe she was raised by a parenting expert? <laughs> uh, so, you know, I really, I really kept it on the down low until one day in this little uh, play group we had where we parents would get together, you know, and the kids would, I mean, not so much play as tug a war over toys and, you know, whack each other in the head, but we got to talk to other adults. One of the moms came up and showed me my own mother's book, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen, Listen So Kids Will Talk. And she said, Joanna, you've got to read this book. I know you would love it. It's just your style. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't know that I was identifiable by my style, but I thought, well, that's good. But you know, at that point, I had to shamefacedly admit, yeah, I know my mother wrote that. And she just kind of screamed. <gasps> I didn't realize, of course, the name is the same. And and then she yelled out to the whole group, Joanna's mother wrote this book and she never told us. And thus I was outed. And that's how I started on this road to giving parenting workshops because the she then asked me to give a talk at her church and then it was received with enthusiasm and they wanted to do a parenting group. And I, I sort of got pulled into it. And then there was Julie in California <laughs> calling me up saying, we have to write a book. We have to write a book. So here we are. Yeah. So here you are. That's hilarious. I never knew that. I just assumed it was like, <laughs> I'm going to carry on the family legacy. Man, you really got roped into it. I did. We had to oh. drag her into it. She's <laughs> dragged, kicking and screaming. Oh, I don't it- want to be an expert. Uh. <laughs> But I, you know what, I never considered how interesting it would be to be someone who is so well versed in this knowledge and writing books about it and also like doing it yourself. Were there times that you felt like, oh, I should know better or hypocritical or like, oh, if they really saw me now, like they wouldn't read this book? Oh, yes. (laughs) There are times 
when, you know, my kids would do something and I'd think, I don't know how to handle this. I don't even know what I'm doing. You know? And sometimes, you know, I'd, I'd say to myself, Julie, if this is one of your clients, what would you tell them? And I think, I know I'm supposed to acknowledge their feelings. I don't want to acknowledge their feelings. I don't want to do it. I don't care. I'm so mad. You know, I would do that to myself. But isn't that such an interesting paradigm? Like when you know the information and you can coach other people to it with such confidence and so nonchalantly, and then applying it in your own life, especially when you're in that like heightened state of emotion, mm. can be such an interesting paradigm. Yep. To me, the lovely part about this approach is that at least the way I interpret it, it's very non-judgmental towards parents. Mm-hmm. You can just completely blow it and, you know, and yell and get upset. And all the while in the back of your head, you can be saying, you know, I know this isn't helpful, <laughs> but, you know, I'll fix it later <laughs> when I'm calm. And and then you can come back and and you have those skills and you have that knowledge and you can and you can circle back and talk to your kid boy you were so upset you know i was i was so mad i was yelling at you and you didn't like being yelled at and you were crying you know, let's do it differently next time and and you can give that gift to yourself and to your kids of of another chance because don't we all need endless chances right yeah and um you know it Essentially, you don't have to, you never have to worry that you won't have another chance. You, you, you know, your kids will never misbehave again. They're going to do it again, right? The five-year-old is going to whack the three-year-old another time. And, and this time you'll be ready for it because you'll have thought, oh, I didn't like the way it went last time. Next time I'm going to do it differently. Mm. So just give yourself as many chances as you give your kids to get it right, which is essentially infinity, right? Yeah. I love that um, you're speaking to this like element of self-compassion and, and more chances as, you know, kind of one of the through lines in what's, what's taught in the books or in this style. Um, what are some of the other hallmarks that kind of define what you teach in your work or what you have taught in your workshops and like what is present in the books? Like, what is this all based on? I think that why people come why people read the title, how to talk so little kids will listen and they say, ah, ha, I want that. I need that, right? They're, they're focused on the listening part. I need my kids to listen. And really what, they're, what they mean is I need my kids to behave, right? Do what I say. So one of the big concepts that we talk a lot about is that there's a connection between how kids feel and how they behave, right? And that's not just for kids. There's a connection be- for for adults, for all of us. There's a connection between how we feel and how we behave. You know, and if you think about those moments as a parent when you're glad you didn't accidentally leave the Zoom camera and microphone on and, you know, when you were yelling at your kids or calling them lazy or mean or saying, I'm going to leave without you. And you really wish you could, right? Those, <laughs> those tend to be the moments when we're not feeling our best, like we're feeling rushed or we're feeling stressed. Maybe we had an argument with our spouse or our boss or... We didn't get enough sleep last night. Whatever it is, we're not at our best and we don't handle the moment as gracefully as we might otherwise, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a connection between how we feel as parents and how we do as parents. And that's true for our kids also. And so one of our big themes is that if we help our kids feel better, then they can behave better. And one thing we can do to help them feel better is to accept their feelings, whatever those feelings are. And it always sounds so simple when I say that. Let's accept our kids' feelings. But it can be very 
challenging to do in practice, right? I mean, when they have positive feelings, it's easy. You know, oh, you're excited about your the box you got for your birthday. You're happy to have pancakes for breakfast. That's so wonderful, right? I'm so happy for you. But when they start complaining about it, like, I didn't want blocks for my birthday. I wanted Legos. And we want to say, oh my gosh, you should be glad you got anything. You should feel grateful, right? And they don't just say, oh, you're right. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious to even think that could possibly happen. So that's what I would say that's one of the big themes of our of our work is to focus on the feelings underneath the behavior. And if we can help our kids learn to notice and accept their own feelings and to express them in words, perhaps, instead of with fists, you know, that's, we're doing well. I would say that the idea of, of acknowledging and accepting feelings is underlies everything that we do. And it often feels so counterintuitive because I think the fear is, that we're going to make those negative feelings stronger if we accept them. Whereas the reality is having someone accept your negative feelings actually is very soothing and allows us to calm down and sort of think straight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if your kid says something alarming, like, and he's talking about, say he's talking about his little brother and he says like, I hate Sammy, you know, I want to punch him you know, we want to squash that and say, no, you don't hate him. He's your brother. Don't use that word. You love your brother. And again, as Julie said, he's not going to say, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. he's going to come back right at you. You know, like, no, you don't get it. I do hate him. I want to get rid of him. Do you know what he did? He wrecked my Lego. It will actually calm him down and allow him to feel more positively towards his brother if we can acknowledge the feeling. So we can say something like, wow, you sound so upset with your brother right now. Something he did really irritated you. And then he might say like, yeah, I worked on my Lego spaceship and he picked it up and pulled it apart. And then we can say, oh, that's so frustrating. Two-year-olds don't know how to handle things gently. Yeah, you know, I'm going to keep it on the higher shelf. Okay, now he's thinking. And he's calming down and he's feeling heard and understood. But it's it's just really hard to get to that. You know, a kid mm -hmm. says something triggering like, I hate my brother. So, you know, it helps to know that skill intellectually because it doesn't always come naturally. I think that what to me like really hits home is like in the books when you give the exact same example as if it were like me, the adult having a, a similar, I put that in quotes, situation like at work or with a boss, like, and if your spouse reacted in such a way, like that wouldn't make you feel any better. Like that would really tick you off. Right. And so when you think about it that way, you're like, yeah, why would I say, I wouldn't say that to my husband. Like, why would I say that to my kids? And so I think that in general, like this entire approach reframes the mindset of the role that kids play on like a bigger scale in our society of like, they're just little versions of people. And like, how would you talk mm. to an adult in that situation? Because their their feelings are equally as valid as your feelings of being frustrated about traffic or about not getting Zencaster to work or whatever it might be. <laughs> um, you know, their, their problems are just as real and big and emotional to them as ours are to us. That's right. Yes. We do a lot of try it out on yourself in our book because that 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 does help people connect 
mm-hmm. know, that one with the boss where we say, imagine you came home and said to your partner, I hate my boss. He's such a jerk, but you don't use the word jerk. And then your partner <laughs> says to you, honey, we don't speak that way. We don't use that kind of language. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sure your boss had his reasons to do what he did. I mean, that would just be enraging. It would be infuriating. Yeah. I, I just think that's really, really powerful across the board. There's something about bringing people together that feels magical. There's an intangible energy that comes from having a like-minded, passionate community together in one space. We are truly made to be together. Whether as an MC, workshop host, or keynote speaker, my goal is to make your attendees feel seen, included, and ready to take action on their big dreams. I am now booking my 2023 speaking calendar. Click the link in the show notes or hop on over to emilyrushell.com to learn more and book me for your upcoming conference, meeting, or retreat. So I know a big part of of these books also, and you kind of touched on that a little bit already, is just like the element of communication and problem solving over over like punishment, so to speak. Can you can you talk more into that? Give me an example where you would be tempted or, you know, have the urge to punish your child to teach him or her a lesson. Mm. Well, I think, okay, so one one example that came up from, from a few people in our community was like the sibling dynamic of like siblings like intentionally hitting or being mean to each other. So I know sometimes the gut reaction can be like, well, no TV tonight because you're not being fair. Um, not that I said that last night or anything. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great example because when a kid hurts a younger sibling, that's oh. when we feel like I, I have to stop messing around with all this touchy-feely acceptance. I really have to move in because this mm-hmm. is this is wrong Yeah, and, and it could be dangerous. And that's where we want to sort of bring the hammer down. Mm-hmm. That's for sure one of my triggers is like when my kids, especially the older one, is intentionally hurting the other, like ooh, uh, that, that's when I really struggle the most. And the problem is that punishment doesn't teach a kid what we're necess- what we necessarily think we're teaching him. So if he, you know, pokes his brother and makes his brother cry, and we say, you know, I'm going to show you how that feels, <laughs> or I'm going to take away your TV time. You know, what happens is, as Dr. Gannat would say, my, my mom's mentor, Dr. Gannat would say, punishment is actually distraction and it makes kids think selfishly. So the kid might be thinking, you know, that's not fair. You know, why do I have to get TV time taken away? He poked me first or mom likes him better. I'll get back at him. So the kid is thinking about himself. He's simmering with resentment and frustration. And it's not making him feel more kindly towards his brother. You know, we're not making the little brother safer. So we're not getting the result we want, even though we're satisfying that urge to smite a wrongdoer. So instead, well, we start with taking action because we don't advocate sitting by when one, while one child hurts another child. I mean, we would grab that kid and, and stop him and say, I can't let you hurt your brother. You know, that hurts. I can't let you do that. You know, separate the kids. And then acknowledge feelings. Wow, you 
really annoyed with your brother. That was, you know, you gave him a hard punch. Yeah, he took my something or he poked me. Oh, so you didn't like it when he poked you. Well, I had to poke him because he took my block I was going to use for the block tower. Oh, so you were going to use that block for the block tower. Now you're going to see your kids calming down because they're being heard. And it may seem petty to us, but this is this is just as real and important to them as our day working with a coworker who takes our stuff or turns on the radio too loud and annoys us with a station with music that is incredibly irritating. So, and, and we're also teaching them an important skill, which is what do you do when you have a conflict? So it's all worthwhile, even though it seems a lot more troublesome than just saying, you to your room. That's it. I don't want to see you do that again. Mm-hmm. So you hear each side. Oh, you didn't like that. You didn't like that. What should we do? We need an idea. You need that block for your block tower and you need that block for your, you need blocks for your racetrack. Hmm. And then if you want to really be fancy, you can get out a pad and paper and write down whatever ideas they say. You know, I get all the blocks for myself. Okay. Toby gets all the blocks for himself. I get all the blocks for myself. Okay. Johnny gets all the blocks for himself. What else? What else could we do? Hmm, I wonder if there's anything else we could use to make the tower or the racetrack. Let's look around. And all of a sudden, you're engaging kids in working with each other, listening to each other, solving their own problem instead of you having to come up with a solution. And kids who do this on a regular basis will start to do it with each other. Mm. And you'll be cut out of the loop in the loveliest way. You've taught your kids conflict resolution. And and we we do it very step-by-step in the book, and we give a lot of different examples. And all the examples are not hypothetical. They're all real parents who have done it with real children. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like that same advice transcribes so many of the, the things that were suggested that I asked you about. So I appreciate you talking into that. Another thing that came up were like routines, like morning routine, evening routine, like brushing teeth, getting dressed, like those things that happen every day that we have to do that, gosh, sometimes it just feels like the hardest thing on the planet. (laughs) Julie, can you uh, give us your best recommendations for how to approach those types of, of times and some of the potential problems that could come up during them and how you would suggest working through that? Sure. I think where our minds, our parental minds go is we have to do this, this, and this. Like they have to get their shoes on. They have to get their backpacks. We have to get in the car. And so we tell them, put your shoes on, pick up your backpack, get in the car. And the problem is when we issue direct commands like that, we're working against ourselves because we create resistance. Kids don't like to be told what to do, right? From the minute they turn, you know, around two and they realize that word, no, you're going to hear that a lot, right? When you tell them, and if they don't say it out loud, they just, some, some kids just ignore you. They just think it to themselves. Like, I don't want to do that. It reminds me of when my oldest was two and we had this rule that you had to wash your hands before dinner. Another one of those routine things, right? And I think as a two-year-old, he felt like, you know, I've done that before. I'm not so interested anymore. (laughs) I don't want to do that. And I remember the first time he said no, and it was dinner time. And my first thought, I have to admit, was, all right, well, don't wash your hands, don't eat dinner. And then I thought, how well is that going to play out with this (laughs) two-year-old? Let's see. He's hungry. He's tired. We're going to have a power struggle. He's not going to eat for a while. 
this could be a real disaster. <laughs> so instead, I turned to one of my favorite tools, and we talk about this in the book, which is to be playful, right? And I said to him, so Asher was very much into Sesame Street, you have to know, when he was two. And I said to Asher, you know what? And I'll be honest, this was a stalling tactic when I was trying to come up with something creative. I'd say, you know what? And he'd say, what? And I'd say, I heard this is all a stalling tactic while my mind's going, tick, 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 what are they possibly saying to <laughs> And then I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, Sesame Street, I'm going to do something about Big Bird. I said, you know, I heard that Big Bird is missing from Sesame Street and he's hiding in kids' bathrooms. Should we go take a look and see if he's there? Asher's like, yeah, let's go see. So we go in the bathroom and we look around. Is he there? No, don't see him. Well, let's see if he comes out of the water. Put the water on, see if you can catch him, right? Mm. Not there, try the soap. Like at this point, Asher, of course, knows that this is a game. <laughs> and right. I'm totally into it. Like not in the soap. Let's try the water again. Maybe he's in the towel. He's not anywhere. <laughs> let's see if he's at the dining room table, right? So, I, so his hands got washed. I have to tell you, the next day when it was time to wash his hands, guess who we have to look for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, after we did Big Bird for a few days, we branched out to Cookie Monster and Bird and Ernie. And sometimes parents will say to me, when do they just learn to like, just do it? And he's 31 now. I never have to say a thing, (laughs) (laughs) but it did go on for a while. Here's the thing. We could have gotten into a power struggle. I could have insisted, well, honey, that is the rule. And if you don't wash your hands, you're not going to get to eat dinner and you're not going to like that. And we could have just had this whole meltdown between the two of us. What I discovered is that by introducing this element of play, it actually gave me more energy. It actually made me feel better because now we were both laughing together. So being playful, if we can just muster up some energy and creativity. And sometimes parents say to me, oh boy, Julie, like you sound great. And they have these ideas, but I'm not the playful type. Believe me, there were plenty of times when I had to come up with ideas and I, I was like, I don't know. We have a whole bunch of ideas of, of categories for play. And one of my favorites is to make an inanimate object talk. So you're trying to get your kids to put their shoes on instead of doing that whole struggle, like sit still, I have to get this on your foot. You know, don't you dare kick me young lady. Like that whole thing. Yeah. Instead, you pick up the shoe. I feel so empty and cold. I need a foot to warm me up. <laughs> Suddenly this, the, the child is talking to the shoe. Oh, okay, shoe. I'll put my foot in you. Come here. You, know? yeah. <laughs> you suddenly have engaged the, the, your child in, in an activity that they were a minute ago saying, well, I don't have any interest in that. Yeah, I will say getting dressed has been a, an issue for us a lot in the morning. And I did that yesterday. It, I was like, I cannot even believe that that just worked <laughs> as quickly as it did. And it's like, I, I think that sounds like, oh, that's so much work. That's so time consuming. But if you're going to engage in a power struggle and it's going to be a fight and it ends in tears and then the whole morning is off and then you send them to school feeling terrible and it's like, you're going to invest the time one way or another. Like, the, the this much more ounce of effort to like preparation for the play sets the tone for such a better morning. So, and I would also add, sometimes parents will say to me, well, don't they just have to learn that certain things you have to do? And I would say, absolutely. They will definitely have to learn that and they will. And I think making a chore, a pleasant activity is a great skill that we adults use all the time. I know for myself, when I have to do a big cleanup in the kitchen, I put a podcast on. Maybe some people are listening to us now on a podcast and getting <laughs> their doors done, right? We turn some of our activities that we know we have to do, we try to make them as pleasant as possible. So I think that's what we're teaching our kids. 
And it's generally making a good feeling between parent and child. And that, that spirit of cooperation is really 90% of the battle. You know, if, if you have a, if you have a spirit of, I'm going to make you do this, you can't make me, you know, then, then you're working harder. Uh, so I, I like to think in my mind, okay, sometimes the longer way is actually the shorter way. You know, it, it seems more troublesome, but in the long run, it makes people feel closer and connected and, and it makes kids want to you know, please you and want to work with you. Mm-hmm. And it models for them because I've heard a lot of parents express dismay at how bossy their kids sound when they talk to their little friends and say, you have to do that or I won't play with you, you know, which is this very similar to you have to wash your hands or I won't let you sit here and eat. You know, they're, they're modeling, you know, on, on how we talk to them. Mm -hmm. So that's another way to think about it. Oh, I've definitely heard that before. And you're like, oh, that, that did come out of my mouth. Okay. (laughs) Noted. Or you hear them playing with like dolls and you're like, okay. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Noted. Um, Okay. So one thing, and I don't know that you speak to this specifically in your books, but I'm sure this has come up in the work you've done with parents is when parents have very different ways of approaching it. So let's say one parent is listening to this, has read all the books, is trying all the things, but the other parent is not on board or doesn't understand or maybe isn't invested in learning an alternative way. How have you coached parents through that scenario in the past? What I've noticed is that if one parent is so doing this, acknowledging, feel, accepting feelings, looking for playful ways to engage cooperation, the other parent starts to notice. We don't, it, what, here's what doesn't help. Honey, you're doing it wrong. You're not supposed to just tell them. You're supposed to engage. You're supposed to think of something creative, right? <laughs> you're supposed to accept their feelings first before you tell them what they're supposed to. You know, that lecture is not appreciated by anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I recommend against that. But we can use the same tool that we were just talking about modeling. When when one person is modeling and then the kid is more cooperative. Uh, you know, how many times have we heard that, you know, okay, somewhat stereotype, but the mom is doing it. The dad is, it's not his style, but the mom's having all this success and something happens where there's some code of conflict and the dad says, you have a choice and, and your mom's going to tell you what they are. <laughs> you know, they, they start to, they start to notice that there are positive feelings happening over there. I kind of would like that. I'm not quite sure what she's doing. I have to admit that um, when my kids were little, my husband wasn't so interested in doing the readings of the books that I kept saying, these are great. You know, there's lots of ideas, but he was, in, he liked to read if he had time. He's always saying, I don't have time. So I used to carry around Adele's book. I don't know if I ever told you this, Joanna. I used to carry around Adele's book. And if we were waiting, if we went out, like I remember once we were at a, an Italian restaurant and there was a line and we're like, okay, well, we'll wait because you know, there's no th- place else nearby anyway. And I said, well, why don't we just read? Let me see what I have in my bag. And I told them. <laughs> Let me see what I happen to have in my bag. <laughs> That's hilarious. And he started reading. He's like, this is really good. You know? You're like wild. Wild. <laughs> and and some some of the dads, they like the cartoons. That's you know, mm-hmm. we have for those of you who don't like to read, we do have summary pages and we have the cartoons that, that illustrate the, the, the tools. In, also in- audio. Some people like to listen when they're driving to work. Yes, yes. I had one a mom in my very first group, she said, My husband 
you know, thinks it should be common sense how he raised kids and he's not into reading books. He thinks that's ridiculous. But he was driving to an off-site meeting with his staff and it was like a two or three hour drive. And this was, okay, a number of years ago. So she had the cassette of the audio. I know people know what cassettes are now, right? And she gave him the cassette to listen to on the way up. And she said, he was, he became such a convert that he used the tools with his staff in his retreat. And he came back, she says, he's better at it than I am. He's, you know, he's accepting feelings left and right. And she's like, I'm still struggling with this. So yeah, you have to meet them where they are for sure. Yeah, I think you bring up a really great point though, is is obviously these books are geared towards the way we communicate with our kids, whether they're our kids or grandkids, or if you're a teacher or whatever um, capacity you're with kids, but it's the same way that you would want to to treat adults, like in friendships, in business relationships, like these are communication strategies that transcend like any age, any situation. Like once you understand just the, the pattern of the human psychology behind it, it's so effective at problem solving and communication across the board. I have, I don't think either of us has ever, I don't know, I shouldn't speak for both of us. I, I don't think I've ever had a group where someone didn't come in and say, oh, I use this with my spouse. Yeah. You know, he came home from work and he was complaining about work. And instead of saying, I'm sure it'll be okay. Uh, I said, you know, oh, it sounds like you had a really rough day. That sounds so upsetting. And, you know, he loved it. It was wonderful. We didn't get into a fight. So yeah, they are, they are skills for humans. I did just have a couple who took a, a, a workshop with me and they contacted me afterwards and they said they had come because they had been having conflict around handling the kids, but they'd also been thinking of breaking up and they had started, I'm um, tearing up just telling you the story. They had, they had started to use these, these tools with each other and they said they had come closer and it had restored their relationship with each other. They really, it's really, these are tools for relationships of all, you know, of any age. Because all people want to be understood. All people want to say, have a say in, in what they do and how they do it. These are basic principles of, of you know, human be beings of all ages. If you've been hanging out with me online, I know you have heard about the personalized habit challenge, You Do You 82, that I created a few years ago. And I love You Do You 82. But right now, I'm currently walking through a season of healing and growth where I need something just a little bit shorter to focus on. So I created a new challenge. It's really just a little sister to You Do You 82, and I'm calling it You Do You 32. It is a challenge when 82 days just feels a little impossibly long. It was created for the times when you need an attainable boost to get back to feeling like yourself again. For this challenge, I invite you to choose habits to support your physical and mental health that you can realistically do every day for 32 days. The purpose of this challenge is to get in the reps of doing the things that help you feel like your best, healthiest self. For more information, go ahead and click that link in the show notes. And one thing that I really love about these books too, like you said, they, they have like the cartoons with the dialogue and they're just very simple to digest. It's very real life stories. Like you can finish the chapter and immediately go apply it. It's not like super high level theories that you have to figure out how it works. It's like problem example, like how it looks, like why it works. And then a summary, like it, I really appreciate that too. 
we're, we're very into the application, the, the real hands-on, you know, this is what the parents said and this is what the kids said. Because, you know, when you're in the middle of, you know, the toast is burning and the <laughs> toddler's diaper is full and the dog is stealing the breakfast from the three-year-old, you know, you don't have time to convert theory into, mm-hmm. you know, wait, how would I, how would I do this thing? You want the real examples. You want the real stories. So, so yeah. that was what we emphasized. As a matter of fact, in our second book, uh, How to Talk When Kids Won't Listen, we collected stories from people who emailed us from around the world. We have emails from Slovenia, from China, from Australia, from South Africa, telling stories about how they use these skills with their kids. And we put a whole bunch of those stories into, into that book. And we didn't let our editors correct the English because we wanted it to sound you know, authentic. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, so you're talking, you, you mentioned like, oh, that moment when the toast is burning and the diaper's full and like the whole world is like on fire. So when as parents, like we are in a situation of potential conflict or so much mass chaos, like our emotions get really flooded too. So how do you help parents kind of navigate those situations where, like you said, you're not in your most rational minds. You're maybe not um, the most apt to do things in the way that, that you might in a, in a more um, consistent, calm situation. How do we, how do we navigate that? Cause uh, I might need some help. One of the things that I, try to remember as a parent of young children is that my feelings mattered also. And sometimes it was helpful to me to be able to say out loud, I feel so frustrated. (laughs) I don't like this. I can't, one person can't do this. Keep track of all three kids. And the one-year-old is getting into things and the six-year-old supposed to be getting ready for work. I remember at one point, you know, just feeling like this is more than one person can do. Mm. And, but I felt like, it was helpful for me to, you know, use that tool for myself to acknowledge my own feelings. And sometimes to say them out loud was helpful. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, that's one of the, one of the ways that we can use these tools for ourselves as well. And there were times when I thought, I just need a break. I need, I need a break. And I would literally go into my closet. I share a closet with my husband so it's, I can walk in and there's lots of clothes. And I would, when the baby was little, I would take her with me. But once they were old enough, I would lock the door and they would pound on the door. So I knew they were fine. And I would, go <laughs> and I would say all the nasty things I wanted to say out loud because there was a part of my brain that said, this is not going to be helpful if you say this to this kid. But part of me was to be, who, who's, who could raise a child like this? Who's so selfish. Who's so mean. Like, it can't be, this can't be my child. I hate him. I hate this. You know, and I needed to say it out loud. So different people have different you know, activities that are helpful for them. If, if I had my husband around and I could tag team, I would go for a run. I'd go outside mm-hmm. and just I'd walk around the block or something. Um, but that wasn't always possible because I was often home alone with the three of them. And sometimes, I mean, so there's various strategies that I use, but sometimes I would think to myself, I'm going to get through this moment and then I'm going to call Joanna and I'm going to tell her what happened. And I know Yeah, I think that that is is such a powerful reminder across the board is like, we truly cannot pour into the people around us if we're not taking care of ourselves first. And that can be as simple as just acknowledging where we're at, or taking that break or asking for help or, 
you know, calling someone that we trust and just explaining even how we feel and how freaking hard it is because it is hard. Even with the best of intentions, reading all of the books, all of those things, like I have days where I'm like, how am I supposed to do this? But I have to remind myself, like the very fact that I am trying and trying over and over again and prioritizing the relationship and the communication, like I have faith that I'm doing the right thing and that it's going to pay off. And I've heard from a lot of parents who set themselves the goal of not yelling at their kids and then get very upset with themselves that they blew it and they lost it. And what I would say is we're human. When we get upset, we yell. Mm -hmm. The question is, what are you going to yell So, you know, as Julie said, you can yell, I'm so frustrated. I was about to start dinner and I cleaned all the dishes and now the counters are covered. It's so discouraging. I don't even want to start. If you can just talk about your feelings, first of all, it feels good. You get to vent. Second of all, it's easier for your kids to hear that and do something about it. They'll say, oh, no, mom. Oh, I'll put that away. Whereas if we go with the traditional mode, which is to attack the character of the child, you know, what is the matter with you? You always leave a mess. How many times have I told you, if you take it out, you need to put it away. Look at this. And you're just sitting there on your computer playing games, you know, like a lazy bum. When we attack, you know, what are we going to get? We're going to get anger and we're going to get defense. But, you know, I didn't do it. He took it out. He left it there. That's not fair. Why should I have to clean up after him? But if you just talk about your own feelings, it leaves space for a kid to sort of take that in and say, oh, oh, I can fix that. And especially if you're accepting your children's feelings, they will then sort of have that vocabulary and start to, now I'm not talking about a two-year-old here, but, you know, three, four, five, start to be able to accept your feelings. And it's kind of a beautiful system. And probably no one's going to go and sit on the psychiatrist couch, you know, 10 years later and say, you know what? My mom said to me, I'm so frustrated and now I'm scarred for life. You know, that's, yeah. that's unlikely to happen. Yeah. Well, and you're modeling for them in real time, like that mental thought process of identifying what your feelings are, where they're coming from and like what you wish was different, which is ultimately like what we would hope our kids to do. Like so often we're like, use your words, use your words, use your words. And they're like, I don't even freaking know what you want me to say. (laughs) Word. (laughs) I said one kid. Word. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess like on a very broad scope, what if you, you know, had five minutes to talk to every parent in the world and they would take the information that you gave them away and immediately apply it. Like, what do you wish that you could help everyone know or understand through the work that you're doing. So you've heard us say a lot of things here on the podcast and you might be thinking like, that's a lot to keep track of and to try and like, where do I start? So here's a place where somebody could start. I talked about what happens when we tell a child what to do when we ordered them around. Give yourself the challenge of avoiding saying anything that sounds like an order or a command. Don't tell them, put your shoes on. Maybe try just saying shoes, see if they put their shoes on or making the shoes talk. See how long you can go without 
giving them an order or a command without telling them directly what to do and see if you can come up and we have more creative ideas in our book if you want to take a look, but see how long you can go without telling them directly what to do. That's my challenge. And then email us and tell us how long you went. (laughs) (laughs) So you've been working with parents for a long time. So what effect does building this communication system or problem solving or relationship at two, three, four, five, six years old, what does that do for the teenage years or for the relationship in the long term? It helps. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting to me how people who have started using this approach when their kids are little say that the teen years are so much easier because we already have established a respectful relationship, a way to talk to each other, a way to resolve problems that doesn't depend on power struggles or, or threats and punishments. And when the kids are teens, we, we can't overpower them in the same way. We don't have the same control over them that we have when they're little. They're out in the world. If we tell them they can't do something, they'll figure out, you know, it's like with the screens, they'll, they'll find a friend, they'll get on, you know, they'll do what they want to do. When we have a strong connection with our kids starting from a young age, that's what's going to get us through the teen years. As a mother of three boys, oldest six foot two, shoe size 14, um, who was already towering over me at 12, it's sort of stunning how quickly our physical power to control them diminishes. But our ability to talk things out and problem solve and come up with ideas and listen to each other's feelings and find solutions that respect all parties involved just grows with their growing intellectual ability. So if you're laying that kind of foundation, that's a very solid foundation, you know, and, and I've had a, I've heard from a lot of parents who say, you know, now that my kid's a teenager, you know, they don't listen anymore. It's hormones. Uh, but those kids were used to being ordered around or and used to being punished and used to being controlled. And now they find that their parents can't control them anymore. Mm. So the, big power that you have Mm. over your children is your connection with them. And the fact that they know that you will listen to them and in turn, they will listen to you. So, but that being said, it's never too late. We've had a lot of parents start doing this kind of approach with their teenagers and their, their teenagers appreciate it and respond fairly quickly. Yeah. And, and to follow up with that, I think one thing that has been really profound to me is that idea of like, when we're holding space for, for their hard times when they're young, like they know that they are safe to come to this in their teen years Mm -hmm. for these really big world things. Whereas if we are, you know, punishing or shaming or time outing or whatever, when they're little, they learn to, oh, that's like scary, bad, uncomfortable things are not safe. So I need to withdraw or or like find, um, you know, support elsewhere because, um, you know, my parents aren't a safe place for, for the hard feelings or confusing things. So I, I really hold on to that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I would also add is that I think sometimes parents think I'm trying not to have conflict. I'm trying to eliminate conflict. And I would suggest that when we have relationships with other people, there's going to be conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, the strength of relationship not doesn't lie in how few conflicts do we have, but how do we resolve them? Because, mm-hmm. 
you know, with your partner, if you live with someone, you're going to, somebody wants the window open, somebody wants the window closed. Somebody wants to have music on, somebody can't concentrate with it when there's anything going on. You know, somebody likes to plan in advance, somebody likes to be spontaneous. It's, you know, there's always going to be conflict. So the question, how do we resolve conflict? And that's one of the things we are teaching here is we're teaching people from a very young age, what do you do when what you want or what you need conflicts with what somebody else wants or needs? Do we rely on the strength of our fists and our, the size of our bodies, or do we rely on our attempts to look for creative ways to meet the needs and feelings of each other? And that's that's the the goal that that I have for for parents and for all people is to learn how to address conflict in a healthy way so that we can respect the needs and feelings of of all people, which will ultimately lead to. World, world peace. peace. <laughs> it's funny, but it's true. Like, gosh, if if all adults communicated with each other and um, accepted why people were feeling the way they did or, or came to problem solving with this mindset ingrained in them, like, it sounds cliche to say, but what a different world it would be. That's our secret goal. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. And it, it starts, it starts with our, our kids and our families. So, um, but I also love that you really speak to that, that level of self-compassion because it is a journey and we are learning right alongside of our kids. So it's important to, you know, do the best that we can. And, you know, we talk on this podcast a lot, just getting a little bit better every day and having grace for ourselves when things don't mm. go according to plan and standing back up and trying again and trying Lots again and trying again. <laughs> Grace on grace on grace. <laughs> so this um, podcast is all about personal growth. So one question I love to ask my guests is, what does personal growth mean to you? Being willing to consider that there's another way. Mm. Just being open to that idea. I love that. Wow, I can't top that. <laughs> it just made me think of a of an email we received from from a man who was a dad from oh it was another country where was it Greece somewhere where he had grown up in a, with a very disciplinarian uh, father and he was starting to use these very very different methods with his children and and he wrote to us about how profoundly it had moved him to be able to make this change. And I was just so blown away that someone who had spent his whole life thinking one way was willing to make a 180 degree shift and make that profound change. I think that's an, an astonishing act of courage and adventurousness. Yeah. So I, I want to just steal that idea for myself and say, for my goal, personal growth would be to hold a little part of my mind open to another way that I had not considered before, even though so much of my, of my, of my mind wants to say, I know how to do this. This is how I've been doing it. And I'm very invested in that being the right way. So that's what I say to some parents who sometimes come very skeptical to this mm -hmm. approach is, you know what? Give it a try. See how you yeah. feel. See how your kids feel. You can experiment. You can always then decide, ah, you know, I don't, I don't like this. I'm just going to, you know, put them in a corner and time out, you know, but try this first, see what happens. Yeah. Well, and the, the level of vulnerability and inner work that comes alongside 
doing anything different than what we've always known, whether it's parenting or or whatever. It comes with a lot of gaining awareness of why we do the things that we do mm-hmm. and why certain things trigger us to do one thing or another, like I said, parenting or, or outside of that. And so for me, like a huge part of my growth personal growth journey has been through parenting of just like, why is that my gut reaction? Or why does that affect me so much? And and so I think that, you know, my, my kids are really teaching me so much about myself hmm. as I walk through this journey with them. So it's definitely not easy work, but I think it's the most important work I'll ever do. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, you have a brand new book out. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to share with us where people can find you, what else you have coming up, how we can get connected, all the things. Tell us how we can learn more from you. Well, if you want to know what we're up to, you can always go to our website, which is how to talk with dashes between the words. So how dash to dash talk.com. And on that site, you can get the titles of both of our books, our new book, how to talk when kids won't listen. And we're very proud of our subtitle, whining, fighting, meltdowns, <laughs> defiance, and other challenges of childhood. Kind the of big four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, and of course, our first book, How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen, which we call A Survival Guide to Life with Children Ages 2 to 7. Sometimes people ask us about that second, our new book. It covers a wider age range because our followers, their kids have been growing up. So we have stories from, you know, toddler all the way through sort of early teens. And we also have two apps. I don't know if you know about our apps. I don't. Oh, we, we have an app called How to Talk, Parenting Tips in Your Pocket, which takes all the tools and puts them into one app. And it asks you a few questions, it's like a decision tree. It'll ask you a few questions and it will direct you to the relevant tool and some examples and some some caveats and if that doesn't answer or it doesn't help we'll send you to another one so take a look it's it's available for both uh android and iphone ios and you can look at it for free for i think a day and then it's like 3.99 to own or something so that so like in real time if there's a situation that comes up like it yes. like will yes. automatically direct me to yeah, you can so my cool. kids my kids are fighting or you know my kid is you know crying and then you you touch that it will lead you to you know is your child frustrated is he angry and then you touch that and then then it will give you some suggestions and and we actually have great stories from that you know from people using that it's sort yes. of a 20 questions type thing. Yes. Very cool. And, and was inspired by a, a, a letter, an email from a reader who said that, she said, I love your tools. Can you put them in my brain? And I said to Joanna, Joanna, we can't put it in her brain, but we could put it in her phone. Yeah. Remember what you said, Joanna? And Joanna said, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're not making an app. What are you, crazy? And, and then Julie's are. brilliant son, you know, made made the whole he made an app uh, maker. structure. He made an <laughs> app. What did he make? An app maker. For, for I told him what I wanted to make, and he designed software so that I wouldn't have to program it. And because it, it turned out to be way more complicated than I. Well, yeah, <laughs> especially if it's like a choose your own adventure. That's yeah. such a that's really high level programming it's, from my yeah, limited choose knowledge. Your own adventure. It is. Exactly. Yes. That's so, so um, cool. Yeah. It was, it was, it took a little longer than I originally, I was like, this won't take us long at all because we have all the tools. It's like, oh, so well, but, but it's out. You can't parent through an app, but it was such a clever thing that, that Julie's son created that I had to, 
I had to get on board. <laughs> okay, so what's the next book? Well, follow. Well, how can you follow this up? We have one more app I have to tell you first. Oh, we have okay. An app called Parenting Hero, which uh, is is sort of like a gamified approach, a little sort of not quite videos, to, so you can learn about the different approaches, um, and has a multiple choice and kind of fun uh, way to uh, fun introduction to cool. the approach. And if, and on our website, I was just telling you about what else we do. So we have a other information about website, about workshops. I'm doing workshops based on the little kids book and also on the, the new book for older parents of older kids. And I've also started a new workshop just on kids fighting because I'm mm. finding that I'm finding that even people who feel like I get it, I understand it, but I, I can't figure out what to do in the morning. That's in the moment when the kids are fighting, that's when it's the hardest. And mm-hmm. so I'm doing a lot of, and they're all on zoom. They're all online. And we do a lot of practice. We do a lot of role plays and people bring me their conflicts with their kids and we experiment. Okay. So what if I say this? What if I say that? And I have them, the parents play their own kids and they'll say, well, that doesn't make me want to do it. So it's a lot of, a lot of practice using these tools because I find that that's what really helps to translate it to, to, uh, in, you know, real life. Yeah. So, um, so, so all of that, and I do one-on-one cons- consultations for people who just have, they want focus, like this particular problem, give me help. So that's all on the website. And uh, what we're working on next, well, we're working on helping people with fighting. That's, that's our next focus. Yeah. And, and if you or your followers have other suggestions, questions that you feel like, boy, could you, would love to hear you write about this, write to us because that's sometimes how we decide where to go next. Very, very cool. Well, we will, I will for sure be following along. And I think this conversation will bring a, hopefully a lot more people into your ecosystem because I just think your work is really important. And there hasn't been a person that I've shared your work with that has come back and said, oh, that was trash. Everyone has been like, wow, that's, I, I don't, I never thought about it that way, or this is amazing, or this has totally transformed something or another. So um, I've seen it work and I am also a work in progress, but aren't we all? So I just really appreciate what you're doing and, uh, the time and love you put into your books because I really appreciate them. Thank you so much. And thank you for <laughs> amplifying it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you for helping us spread the word. <laughs> hey, being, a, being a person's not easy. Being a parent is definitely not easy. So yes. anything that can help um, navigate that and with a little bit more fun and simplicity, like enjoy. Um, enjoy. I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, thank you so, so much. I appreciate you both. Thanks for being here today. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Have I told you today how much I appreciate you? I'd like to imagine this was a meaningful backyard patio kind of chat between friends sipping LaCroix at sunset. If you enjoyed today's show, please take a screenshot to share or forward this episode to a friend. You can also find me at Emily Rushel over on social to continue the conversation. It's truly a joy to hear what tidbits and takeaways made an impact on your day. As always, all links and resources mentioned in today's episode can be found in the show notes listed below or over at emilyrushell.com. Special thanks to my podcast manager, Jill Carr, for the time and love she puts into producing gathering growth for this community. What a blessing it is to be on this personal growth journey together. Forever grateful for you.